Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 83 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. My guest today is Justin Goodbread, and he is a driven entrepreneur, award-winning financial planner who started his first five businesses at age 16, sold three of those businesses for profit to date, and currently operates three other businesses after my own heart. Um, he's got Heritage Investors, LLC, Heritage Business Advisors, and FinanciallySimple.com. He helps entrepreneurs and individuals attain their financial goals, both before and after retirement. He's a certified financial planner with like a billion other titles. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Um, in addition to being the two-time winner of Investopedia's Top 100 Most Influential Financial Advisors. Um, so Justin, you come with a whole lot of cred. I'm excited to dive into this. Financial planning either sounds like some insurance guy trying to sell you something or a bunch of numbers that hurt people's heads. So I'm excited for us to break this down today. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I've got to tell you, one of my soapbox keys that I often rant about is the term financial planning or financial advisor. I actually saw an advertisement the other day for a banker who called themselves a financial advisor. And the same day, I saw the term financial advisor used for an insurance agent, for a stockbroker, and get this, for somebody selling pet insurance. <laughs> How in the world can a financial advisor mean so many different things? And forget all the other titles that we hear out there. I mean, it's so, yeah, I got I, I understand that financial planning is a frustrating world, but you're going to hear me say things today that you're going to like, dude, this guy, he is not Wall Street. In fact, he hates Wall Street. I always call him the enemy. So we're going to have a good time. We'll have a good time talking through these, this information. I am super excited and I love that you started your businesses when you were young. I started my first business when I was 10. Awesome. Um, my favorite one was done when I was 16, actually. Um, so I'd love to kick off there. Sounds like you've been an entrepreneur since forever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to my knowledge, and I may be wrong. In fact, I've tried to validate this. I don't think I've ever received a W-2 in my life. I think I've been self-employed my entire life. Now, again, I may be wrong. I've thrown tax returns away and there may be a stint where I work for somewhere that I received a W-2, but I can't place it in my head. Um, so yeah, I started my first business when I was 15. Actually, my mom and dad helped us start a, my brother and I started a company. We call it Lawn Care by the Boys. Um, we rode around when I was 15 years old in the hot South Georgia summer times cutting grass, learning that you pick the trash up and you work together and you never leave leaves near the front door. So when people come home from work, they don't see trash in their driveway. And we learned how to work. And it was my mom who was a master's nurse um, driving around with my brother and I and a dog at the time in a truck and teaching us how to work. That led into this life of entrepreneurialism. I ended up later selling that business. Um, so when I was about 21, whenever my wife and I were married and ended up selling it and moving into different businesses. So yeah, I've been, uh, been self-employed pretty much my whole life. And if there is anything that we business owners can face, I promise you I've faced it. I believe that. I believe that. So you said you started 
three, was it six businesses when you were 16? No, it, was, it should say the first of six. So the first one was- First at, of uh, six, that makes more yeah. sense. That's a lot, because I, I ran business when I was 16, but I didn't have the bandwidth to run multiple ones. I yeah, was in school. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. So we started the first one, I was 15. Um, I, whenever I was able to drive without my mom and Bob, my brother and I did the landscaping with um, all around Southeast Georgia. And then ultimately ended up hiring employees as we moved on and grew older and had more revenue. We ended up actually making in one year more money than my mom and dad did combined. It was amazing. Um, my brother and I, you know, I, would, I would have been 18. He would have been 16 at the time. Made a ton of money. Um, ended up falling in love with business and hating Wall Street at an early age. In fact, we were making so much money, someone told me, they said, hey, you, you need to go talk to some financial person and start saving for your retirement, right? So I went to this- And you were what, like 20? I was, I was 18. 18. I was 18. <laughs> I, money, I was like, okay. I mean, there's only so many fishing rods or hamburgers you can buy at age 18, okay? So I walked into this financial person's office making more money than my mom who worked full-time as a nurse and my dad who worked for uh, uh, the Port Authority, which loads ships and stuff down in South Georgia. And I said, man, I need to start saving for my retirement. He goes, yeah, whenever you can make more money, come back and see me. I got to tell you, I instantly had like this sour taste for Wall Street personality types. Like, hey, bring me your money and let me fix it for you because I know everything. Yeah, somehow now years later, I end up seeing the inside of the beast. But, um, but yeah, that was my first taste to outside of entrepreneurialism. At that point, I said, you know, if you're going to make it, well in life or hit your goals in my world, it's going to be through business. It's not going to be through what many, many, many people who maybe are not business owners would, would try to use. So it was a fascinating journey for that first five, six, seven years of business. I hear that. I totally hear that. So I, I could hear that that would, that would leave a sour taste because you're coming in, you're so, so successful as a kid. And he's like, yeah, kid, you know, when yeah. you can make some real money, you come talk to me. Otherwise, I'm not even gonna look at you. Absolutely, absolutely. And now it's getting. Now it's. I know this individual, and I'm like, yeah, I'll compare my net worth statement to yours any day of the week, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Some 25 years later, I'm like, yeah, buddy, let's go. We'll talk about now who has money. <laughs> so, is that part of what drew you into doing financial planning? That kind of burn at that age? No, it wasn't. So, whenever, so my wife is half Filipino. Um, which she lived and grew up here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Her mother, mother. That, that sounds mother, unusual. That, that, is that unusual? Well, it's not because her family immigrated over here from the Philippines right after the Vietnam War, whenever there was a shortage of nurses. And her mother oh, was okay. nurse in the Philippines, came over, fell in love with some hillbilly up here in the, in the mountains of East Tennessee. And lo and behold, I meet this beautiful young lady. We ended up getting married. I moved her to South Georgia. I felt racism for the first time in my life. I'd never seen it beforehand. And uh, my mom and dad, they homeschooled all three of our, myself and my brother and sister. They, they sheltered us probably that more. That's totally so part of your story also. Yeah. But yeah. Oh yeah. They sheltered <laughs> us, they homeschooled us, they, they, all this stuff, but they didn't, they, they, my mom traveled the world as a, as an army brat kid. Right. And so she saw multi-cultures and they raised us to, to respect all people, love all people. Right. So whenever my wife came into the picture who looks Filipino, I ended up seeing negativities and that ugliness that, that, that we often see in our, in our world. And I said, you know, we're not going to raise a family. I don't have to do this. So we sold the business and I didn't sell it for probably what I could have sold it for. It was an emotional decision. 
We sold Which business it. was this that you That sold? was my landscape business. Oh, that was the landscape that started as the lawn mowing that turned yeah. into a landscaping. Oh yeah, okay. absolutely. Yeah. So it grew and we, and we ended up selling it. And then my wife and I, we transplanted up here to Knoxville, Tennessee, where she's from. And Knoxville, even though it's in the South, it's a good melting pot. There's people from all over various cultures. I mean, there's international students that come here to University of Tennessee. It's just a really good location. And there's a lot of Filipinos here. So it was a good place for her to be back with her family. Whenever we moved back, I was doing some, some remedial work, this, that, and the other, trying to start a landscape business, actually thinking about that. And I had a friend who said, buddy, I bet you $5,000 that you can't pass these three tests in the next 30 days. Like, <laughs> just for out of nowhere he was like i bet you can't do this yeah I mean, he was in the financial world he was with a real big popular firm and he said if you can do this i'll give you five grand he was trying to recruit me into this financial world i'm like buddy i i've already had a bad taste i don't want to deal with i, I know i don't want to do it he said five grand I'm like well crap i can pass any test for five grand so i went in lo and behold i passed the test became this financial person, right? It's amazing how you can become an expert and be a financial person in 30 days time. So just keep that in the back of your head. Right? <laughs> was, this an, was this like a financial planning MLM that he was pushing you into? Like why, no, why no, would no. he offer you money? It was a, it was a sign on bonus type of thing. It was the way they would recruit people back in the day. Okay. Um, there's, there's not any, there's no MLMs in the financial world. The SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, the FINRA, they pretty much govern that pretty right. well. Not in the legit financial world. I've seen financial Correct. MLMs that are more like insurance products and oh, different yeah. financial management and debt management products. Right. Yeah. No, this is legit. This is the okay. actual, the actual licensed world. So I was basically taking some licensing tests. He said, if you'll do this, we'll cover the test and we'll give you a sign on bonus for five grand. I'm like, okay, well I'll pass the test, but I'm not going to work with you. And I like to learn. <laughs> I love to learn. I've been reading a book a week since I was 16 years old. I mean, I love to learn and oh, read. Nice. Right? I need some of those recommendations. Oh, I also, sure. I'm sure. We'll jump in. Bibliophile. <laughs> oh yeah, sure, sure. So long story short, I, I did I did pass the test, got the little sign on bonus. And about a week after that, I, I started seeing the world of finance from a different perspective, from actually somebody who cared about their customers and saw how much impact that helping people get out of debt, as you just mentioned, helping people prepare for college, helping people all this, this, that, and the other that we would typically expect in the financial world. Lo and behold, I still am a business owner. I don't want to be somebody's employee is going to tell me what to do this, that, and the other. It's not who I am. So about a week after I passed the test, corporate comes in and shuts the office down. And they said, hey, you're no longer employed. Go find you a job. So I was a 1099 subcontractor. And I'm like, okay, well, I got this designation. I got these licenses. What am I going to do with them? Well, I guess I could try this white collar world for a second, you know, as opposed to having grease on my hands right out there working the yard. And ended up joining it with a firm, worked in that firm for probably about six years, ended up going through a divorce of that firm. So that was my first lawsuit. Oh, painful. Um, a seven-year lawsuit, hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees. It was painful, to say the least. Why did it affect you, though, if it was at the top of the firm? Say that again? It was that you were divorcing the firm or the firm divorced like, in, the, in itself? Um, I was a partner in the firm by that point. So I become a partner. I'd become a, an owner in that company. I went from a, a subcontractor to an owner in that organization. And I can't get into the details because the confidentiality agreements, all that stuff. Sure. Let's just say I went through a fun divorce and that would have been the second business position sale at that point. So then we started in that lawsuit. I started a company called dental management group. 
And I had worked with a buddy of mine who was a dentist and I showed, he called me one day and said, Justin, you understand finance, you understand business, help me. I can't break through this certain number. And he had a certain number in his head and it was relatively low. It was about $600,000 of total revenue for, for a dental office, which is low. He said, I can't break through it. I don't understand business, man. I, I know how to fix people's teeth. So long story short, we helped this individual, his business doubled and tripled and he referred me to another dentist and lo and behold, Dental Manager Group was born where we would actually go in and coordinate the purchasing of dentals, dental offices from a young, young dentist, what about an old dentist? We would build marketing plans for them with marketing firms. We would build bookkeeping. We'd put in systems and operations. Everything that I do today, we micro niche it to a, bit, to a dental office. And the lawsuit, lawsuit was settled. It all resolved. I'm like, you know what? I don't want to focus strictly on dentists. I'm going to sell the business. Therefore, I sold my third business at that point. So I ended up selling three businesses before the age of, what is that, 30-ish, 28 years old. Nice. In 2009, I started Heritage Investors. Heritage Investors, we started it with, with the idea, and that's one of the companies I currently own. I started with the idea that Wall Street is broke. For us business owners, I think it's ludicrous for any person to come to me as a business owner and tell me that I should take money out of my business and put it in the stock market. I think it's ludicrous because okay. I realize that I can grow my business. Like last quarter, one of my businesses went up 27.5% last quarter. I can do that as a business owner. Wall Street cannot do that. It's not going to return that type of return. Now, I shouldn't say it cannot. I guess it could. Anything's possible. But historically, it's not going to return that. So I wanted to create a company that understood the way finance worked, not in the avenue like you and I talked about earlier, where, you, hey, you're going to buy a life insurance policy or, hey, you're going to do get out of debt, but more importantly, look holistically at business and someone who could show how a business can increase in value. More importantly, how ultimately that individual who owns that company can increase their net worth. So what I say, you, you, you gave me a statement earlier about your, your podcast, my slogan in, in Heritage Investors, which is what the team says, is we attempt, our goal is to double our client's net worth every three to five years. That's our goal. And we do that through comprehensive planning. We do that through tax reduction strategies. We do that through investments if we need them, like retirement plans, et cetera. We do that through debt elimination strategies. We do it through behavioral finance, using psychologists involved. We do that through value growth strategies, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So the idea being, whenever a client comes to us, we know where their net worth is. And through all that myriad of advice, we want to see that net worth double every three to five years. We launched this company in 09. And by 2014, we were, we were voted Forbes boutique planning firm for all of the Southeast United States. Nice. It accelerated rapidly. This message that we business owners are different. We're not going and punching the clock nine to five. And we think differently. So it birthed and it just took off. It was fun. It's been fun. It's been a fun journey. So I love this. Um, and again, right, I'm a business owner. I, I was a W-2 for a whole lot of years, though, um, yeah, because yeah. I'm a super risk-averse entrepreneur. Oh, wow. um, so I had side hustles all my years until finally, about 10 years ago, I took the leap and, and went full-time into my own thing. Okay. Um, and that, that makes me a little odd in the entrepreneurial, because I'm, I'm an entrepreneur through and through, just was a giant scaredy cat for a really long time. <laughs> 
Okay. Um, but so one question I have, and I want to go deeper into it, but in terms of, of taxes, right? When you invest a, a certain or a large portion of that is not taxable. And that's what a lot of business owners will invest in order to be able to not have to pay taxes on that money and still retain it. The stuff you do, I'm guessing, saw, like it works even with that. That wasn't really clear. Like, yeah, say you that don't, again because I didn't follow you as you got into non-taxable. So say that all one more time. I'm actually, that. I'm going to backtrack completely okay. because I think that if I ask you what you do, it'll answer the thing that you don't do. So, okay. Okay. so break it down for me and, and for everybody listening. Um, what... Give me almost like a sample case study, right? Because yeah, I deal with micro businesses. That's my specialty. Right. Sounds like you deal in, in a kind of similar universe. Um, so business owner who's earning multiple six figures, okay. let's say, right? Because someone who's earning less than that needs all their money to live on. They're not, they're not ready to invest. They're not paying that much in taxes yet. Um, as long as they have a good accountant. I sat with <laughs> someone this week. Do you want to hear pain? This is painful, okay? Sat with one of my clients, single mom, six kids. And she's telling me that she has to pay $7,000 in taxes. I said, that's not possible. Like, I know what she's earning. I said, it's not even possible. Not with the new child tax credit. It's like, there's no way. And she said, yeah, that's what my accountant. I said, then you need a new accountant. Something is very wrong. She was, she was about to pay it. I said, absolutely not. It wasn't filed yet. They just like told her what she needed to do. And I think a lot of people don't understand even the basics. But when you're earning less than 100K or even 150 I think that none of this, like you just need your money to live, right? You're not paying a lot of taxes or when does this come into play? Let's start there. When yeah, does someone so start I looking at this? Yeah. I wouldn't put a number on it because for example, had a, uh, we brought on a new client who's a business owner. He makes about 80,000 a year. He and his wife together. What happened was in, in Tennessee, we do not have a state income tax here. This is a Tennessee resident. Oh, nice. So I got to come move there. Okay. I think I have like a 50% income tax or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but what happened in this case is he had used he had used the the exchanges insurance program through the Affordable Care Act, and he became ineligible because of the income for that particular program. So he was actually going to have to pay back premium as a tax penalty. That's the tax penalty whenever you start when you when you make more money than the exchange credit was for the prior year. Ended up being he was going to pay thirty thousand dollars on an eighty dollars income, which How? is well, is the backpack back taxes on the on the exchange with the with the way the health insurance and all that works. Oh my gosh! CPA was basically a data entry filler, and so many of them are. They just they they go out and they get your information, put it in the form, say, "Hey, right. here's what you like." Owe. My client who needs a new yeah. accountant, yeah. So, so he go. I, he said he called me. He said, "Justin, man, I need a little help. This doesn't sound right." I said, "What's going on?" I said, nah, "Come see me." Within three minutes, literally, I looked at his forms and said, "Okay, time out. You're a business owner. You had a little bit of profit. Let's just take a SEP, a, a simplified employee pension, a SEP IRA. Let's put that in place and let's put whatever the money, twenty percent of your of your net earnings, into that account. And let's also there was one other little adjustment we made. He had missed his travel deduction." The CPA had missed that. And I'm like, buddy, don't you drive your car for per business use? Well, yeah. Where's your mileage? Well, I don't know. Well, how many? So we had to backtrack and build a, build a schedule out. Um, he had some of it, but the CPA missed it. Long story short, by just simply using a retirement account, he went from owing 30000 to getting a refund. Love it. It's, so I wouldn't necessarily put 
a number as far as income on what we do. So go back to what we do. The goal is to double the net worth every three to five years. So we end up getting individuals who are professionals out of school. Let's, let's use the medical world, the dentist for a while. I mentioned a dentist earlier. So I'll give you a yeah. dentist example, okay? We have a dentist, let's say, who comes out of school. They have student loans of $200,000. Now they want to go buy a practice, and they're going to spend four to $700,000 to purchase a practice. They're negative net worth a million dollars. They have no income because when they buy the practice, they're going to get a 179 deduction through all the purchasing of the equipment, the goodwill, et cetera. There's going to be some amortization. So they're not going to have much of an income as it relates on taxes. But what we can do is we can show that individual, look, you've got a negative $1 million. I'm giving you a real case scenario. We help them buy their practice. We help negotiate their practice. We help them put the terms in place for their lending. We knew how to negotiate with the banks to drop their lending rates. We helped them buy their first house. We helped them set the structures in place. And now fast forward seven years. And this is one of many. And this, you know, whenever I give an example, just because it's in the past, I got to say this for disclosures, because in the past, past performance on indicative future results, any assertion to the contrary is a federal offense, right? We know that. I love, okay. I love the legalese. Right, so I got to do all that. <laughs> and also, this is one example. And it's, you're, de it's you're definitely a certified okay. financial planner. <laughs> okay. So everybody understands this is just an example. It doesn't yeah. mean it's always going to happen. All right. But anyways, we went from a negative million dollars to now seven years later, he's out of debt, no more debt. His liquid cash position right now is $800,000 and he has a two and a half million dollar net worth. Love it. So if you take it from a, if you take a, what we do and say, well, I don't make enough money. Well, that's not true. It all boils back to, if you know definitively where you're at today financially and you have a clear understanding of where you want to be, then it's a matter of just outlining the roadmap and making sure that we're minimizing taxes as much as possible with, with good tax planning, accumulating wealth in the proper areas that helps us minimize taxes, and then ultimately controlling the behavior that we all of us business owners have. We all see shiny objects. If they're like the dentist, they want to go out and buy a new toy. Time out. Don't buy the new toy. If you buy this new toy and you spend 20 grand on it, what's the results? What's, what's the hurdle rate? It's a technical term. What's the hurdle rate going to be for that toy? We can run that analysis, but it, it, it's a step further than even finance. So this is out of the financial geek talk now, okay? Yeah, I, I, I love geek talk. I'm, I'm good but, with this. But go back to Michael Phelps. I liked watching Michael Phelps in the Olympics just bust through all those gold medals. Loved it. Loved it. I didn't like some of the things afterwards, but I loved his, his ability to bust through some gold medals. Here's what Michael Phelps is interesting to me about. I've not seen another swimmer in the world who can do what he did at this point. Now, someone will eventually do that, but I haven't seen that yet. Michael Phelps has a coach. The coach who can't swim near as good as Michael Phelps. The coach was simply there saying, hey, your stroke's a little off. Hey, your diet's a little off. Hey, you said you want to gold medals. If you're going to do that, here's what you got to do. And it's finances is really behavior more than the taxes, more than the investments, more than the business. Business is more behavior than anything else. So what do we do? We come in and we quantify. Here's where you're at today. Here's where you want to be. Here's the five or six paths you can take to get there. Which one do you want to do now? Okay, let's go. Let's set sail. And let's hold you accountable to reach that. 
Okay, I love this. It's it's still too theoretical for me, and and my audience knows I I need okay. to break it down. I need to make this really practical. So let's real live detailed in the case. Yeah, by case? yeah. Let's go detailed um, because okay. also there's so and and again I feel almost like you are to finance what I am to marketing. Um, like I'm a generalist, right? And I always say there's so there in marketing there's like three things out there. There's morons. They sound too yep. good to be true. They are. Um, there's industry experts. Marketing right. for accountants, marketing for finance professionals, marketing for right. and it's some guy who was in that industry who hacked the marketing code and he teaches that pathway. Works for some, doesn't work for others. Yep. Um, then you have genius tacticians, Facebook ads, social media right. marketing, email marketing, direct sales. Um, and again, it's good if that's your tactic, but how do you know? So I'm a generalist and I feel like I'm so excited to talk to you because I feel like you're a financial generalist, right? Because right. in the finance world, you also have all these detailed things and each person only knows their lane. And right. how do you know if that lane's right for you? Like I have a guy, I think he's gonna be on the show in a couple weeks. I, I don't always remember the schedule. And just so you guys all know, I have these booked out forever, right? Like you, we are never finishing, it's just too much fun. Um, and he does like this whole life insurance financial planning strategy, like these special life insurance accounts. And then I spoke to another guy and he's like, don't do that SD, it's the worst thing, it's gonna ruin all your money, right? And then I got real estate, only, and each one knows their lane. And so we are gonna now break down all these lanes and talk okay. about kind of the, the general map. So yeah, give me like a case study, like an A to Z practical, what does this look like? And then I want to pick on all of these things that everyone's always talking about that some of my clients I've seen get stuck in um, and, and what we do with them. But let's, we'll start with the case study and then we'll, we'll pick on the individual. Okay. In order to get to this case study, I have to introduce one of our other companies called Heritage Business Advisors. Heritage Business Advisors job is to grow the value of businesses. Okay. And then help okay. business owners sell their businesses for a profit. So Ooh, I did business brokerage. I like that. So these two companies have to work together in order to explain what I'm fixing to explain. Okay. So this okay. is just another example. Again, all the legalese, just an example, your case study. <laughs> and an individual is, is we'll, we'll see keeping dentists because that's kind of the theme we've had this far. So I can keep dentists going. And this is works for any business. But as you very clearly said, Esty, every business is customized and it's, it depends. There's never a right or a wrong. I have a hard time with absolutism that this always works or this is never right. It's the, it depends. There's always a right or wrong. So this individual, he contacted us. He said, Hey buddy, I'm a successful dentist. I, um, I can't get too much to because it's they, somebody could give away information. But anyways, he said, I'm a successful dentist. I, our company produces about $1.3 million a year in revenue. Great. He's making at that time about $300,000 net income, taxable income, give or take ballpark. Okay. Fast forward this year, he's going to make about $850,000 taxable income and his business is now doing 2.8 million. What happened? His net worth when we first started was 300,000. His net worth today is about 4 million. That's a six year period of time. What did we do? So I'm going to kind of give the breakdown step by step. The first thing we did is we made sure that his cash flow worked properly. Cash flow means how we get paid, where we pay, or how we pay ourselves, and where we spend our money. So we went through a very detailed personal budget and made sure that he knew where his money was flowing individually. Most business owners don't because we're focused on our business. So we start on the personal level. We know we identified where every dollar went, and he was happy with where it went. Not here to judge and say he's spending too much money or not spending enough. The second thing we did is we changed the way he got paid. There's several ways to get paid. You can get paid as a W-2 employee 
or you can get paid as a business owner. He's a business owner. But even as a business owner, we can get paid through dividends, interest, rents, royalties, or capital gains. So each one of those have different tax ramifications. It depends, as a comment here, it depends on what you're trying to accomplish to figure out which way you want to structure your business and how, what state you operate in in the United States and what entity style you have. In this case, it was a PLLC, tax as a partnership. Um, it wasn't an S Corp, it was a PLLC tax as a partnership, which is a flow through entity. So what we did is we started breaking out some rental income to, get him, to reduce his self-employment taxes, okay? So we had to go in that direction first. What we had happen is- Wait, what does that mean? I didn't understand that. Okay. We, what does it mean you broke out rental income? I'm good. I was going to go there. Okay. So okay, good. here's what we had to do. We set up a separate businesses. This is not uncommon. We moved his assets, which were not UCC one file encumbered, meaning there wasn't a blanket lien from a bank on them. We transferred them to a separate holding company. And now the separate holding company rents the equipment to the dentist. This was done through a tax attorney and a tax and a true tax planning CPA. Whenever that transpires, he now has rental income versus trade or business income. Okay. Got it. We reduce tax bill. That's one strategy. At the same time, we overhauled his retirement and his investment, his actual investment accounts. He was invested very conservatively. We pushed him to the max. He's young. We put him very aggressive, told him to worry about the stock market. We used dollar cost averaging and used some volatile funds, just basic, just ETFs and basic stuff. But we overhauled his 401k and we put a profit sharing safe harbor cash balance plan in place. I don't know what people feel like when they listen to me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even going to pick apart each term. I'm not going to because it's not worth it. I'm getting the general idea. Okay. Here's what all those terms mean. On an average 401k, the average business owner puts back about 19000 if they're under the age of 50. If they're over the age of 50, they do about 25000 give or take, okay, depending on what year. That's what he was doing. But he wasn't providing benefit to his employees. So we put a safe harbor provision on there that says he's going to get 4% of the money uh, to match the salaries of his employees. That allows him to put 4% of his salary into the 401k. Then we put a cash balance and a profit sharing plan on top of it that allowed him to actually place $200,000 of his profits that he didn't need into his retirement account, which thus lowered his adjusted gross income and thus reduced his tax bill. He was originally paying $80,000 in taxes and it went down to about 20,000, which means that $60,000 he was paying the government now he maintains. Nice. We took the 60,000 that he was paying the government and we accelerated his debt. We dropped his debt down to where he was completely debt-free in three years versus seven years. Once he had the debt out of the way, we had more profits that we turned around and we invested into the companies doing strategic growth initiatives, strategic planning. There are eight key areas in business. This is vital that everybody should understand. You have planning. How, where are you going? How are you going to get there? Leadership. How are you going to tell people how you're going to get there? Sales. Whenever someone comes to your front door, how are you going to, Get them to engage with you. Marketing, you mentioned that earlier. How are you going to get people to the front door? People, the individuals you hire. Operations, think about a flow through. How are you going to get somebody from the start of your business to the end of your business with having quality, quality assurance? Finance, which is everything that has to do with accounting, bookkeeping, taxes, et cetera. And legal or risk management. How do you keep yourself from being sued or having major uh, compliance issues come about? We took a, an assessment on those eight key areas of business and found out that this guy was a dentist. 
He was a high C personality using a disc model theory. High C, so it means he liked to look at little micro things, analysis, paralysis by analysis, right? That's the yeah. type of personality we're dealing with, who hated marketing. Hated it. Doesn't work. Doesn't work. Don't market. Doesn't work. Convinced him to use his money that the government was going to take from him, the tax dollars, and market. Pour it back into the company. We market it, and then we build his people, his systems, his sales processes up to where they are what's called best in class, meaning that every person inside his organization that operated those eight key areas could go to their trade shows, their national conventions, and be a platform speaker and tell everybody else how they're doing it and be the envy of their peers. We pushed his organization to, the, to be best in class in the weakest areas. Once he did that, now exponential growth started taking place. He had his debt out of the way. We had extreme tax planning going on with some good tax advisors. We got rid of the ridiculous insurances that we'll talk about in a few minutes I'm talking about that, that was wasting money. We became lean, mean, and efficient in the business. And then we started focusing on two things, his net worth. We didn't care about what the stock market is going to do. We didn't care about the debt market. We followed net worth. And what is his appraised value of his business? And what can we do every year to drive the appraised value of business up? That is a lot of, I just said, over a six-year period of time that probably has no less than 100 meetings in it and hours upon hours upon hours of teaching. And by the way, during that probably six-year period of time, he probably paid us $300,000 to the, to the company. But he didn't give a flying flip. That's another South Southern term, right? He didn't give a flying flip because his net worth went from negative to extreme positive. And now he's a best in class business. And now he's teaching other of his peers, hey, here's what I did. So that's an example. I love it. That's a great story. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this.